you are an entrepreneur, a professional, a speaker, or a coach, and although you've come a long way, it's time for you to take it to the next level. We've got you. This is the Author to Authority Podcast. We'll help you use authority and influencer marketing to build your business stronger and faster by publishing a book. You'll hear from guests that are thought leaders in sales, marketing, networking, communication, social media, promotion, and business leadership. Let's do it. This is the Author to Authority Podcast. And now your host, the extraordinary word ninja, Kim Thompson Pinder. Welcome to the Author to Authority podcast. And I'm excited today. I know I always kind of say something like that, but I am because I'm with Lorraine Ball and I'm excited because we're talking about content SEO. Now you may think, What's so exciting about content SEO? The thing is, when you get it right, oh, it's exciting. When you get it wrong, there's crickets and more crickets. Lorraine spent many years in corporate America, and after too many years there, she said goodbye to the bureaucracy, glass ceilings, bad coffee, and followed her passion to help business owners succeed. And then today, she's a successful entrepreneur, author, professional speaker, and host of a weekly marketing podcast called more than a few words. And I'm the word ninja. So I love that title. And she loves bringing creative ideas, practical tips and decades of real world experience to every conversation. She's the founder of the digital toolbox community. She helps business owners use internet marketing to grow. And in her spare time, though, I don't know how much spare time you'd have. um, She loves to travel, take photos, and you can see her photos at LorraineBall.com. Lorraine, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Kim. I'm excited to be here. So before we get started, because this is your first time on the Author to Authority podcast, but probably not your last, I would just love for you to share a bit of your business story. You know, how did all of these things take place? Because, I, you know, I read them in your bio, but it's like, I love the details. <laughs> You know, it's funny when people ask me, so so how did you get here? You know, was was there a clear path? I would love to tell you there was a clear path. <laughs> there wasn't. There wasn't. Things happened along the way. I started, I actually have a degree in elementary ed, and I like teaching. I just don't really like the bureaucracy that word again. I don't like the bureaucracy. And mm-hmm. I also discovered that when you're teaching, you're actually You spend a lot, especially if you're teaching elementary school, you spend a lot of time really kind of being alone because it's you and 25 or 30 children. And I love the adult conversation. And so that was never going to be a long-term thing. I worked in retail. I sold oil field supply and went back to grad school, got a degree in marketing and thought I was going to go to work for the China company, Lennox. Ended up at Lennox Industries, the heating and air conditioning company. The funny thing was, it was never anything I thought I would like. And I loved it. I loved the industry. I loved working with all of the independent business owners who were kind of out there making it on their own. And after enough years of that, where I'd come up with these ideas and my my management would be like, yeah, no, we can't do that. I finally said, yeah, we can. So I started Roundpeg. It was a digital, it was, well, it was a traditional agency. 
And then it became a digital agency because I started it in 2002. There was no Facebook. There was really no LinkedIn, Twitter. None of this existed. And over the next 20 years, I built a business selling products and services that did not exist before mm. I started the business and kind of came full circle back to teaching because yeah. What I find with a lot of small business owners is a desire to control and to understand what's going on. Maybe they want to do it themselves, or maybe they just want to ask better questions. And that's where the toolbox yeah. came and the podcast. Two years ago, I sold the agency so I could just focus full time on the podcast and the online training and I'm having fun. I love what you said there about business owners. It's true. You know, as a business owner, I'm at the point I don't want to do everything. In fact, I can't do everything. But I believe as an entrepreneur, I should be able to do every single aspect of my business. And so usually before I bring someone on, I'll learn how to do it myself. Mm -hmm. I think that's a wonderful approach. As my agency grew, mm -hmm. I knew how to do everything that my agency did. So what that allowed me to do is two things. And I think number one, when I hired somebody, I could train them to do it the way I wanted. If I was smart, I hired someone who could do it better than me and I could yeah. learn from them. But also if for whatever reason, they were on vacation, they had a job change and I had this hole in my organization, I never panicked because while I was looking for that next perfect person, I could do it. Too often, I think business owners get trapped where they hire people and don't bother to find out really what they do. And then they get a little desperate when they, when they leave because they just don't know how to replace them. Well, and I think the other thing too is how do you know if that person's really doing their job properly? Mm -hmm. Like I've heard so many horror stories of people who just hired someone because they didn't know how to do it only to find out later that A, they weren't doing it right. B, they were destroying client relationships. Mm -hmm. C, they were stealing money. Any and all of those above. And it's, it's a nightmare and it doesn't have to be that way. I don't think that business owners have to do it all themselves. As a matter of fact, I advocate for, like you said, you have an assistant with the podcast who does a lot of the legwork. So it frees yeah. you up for the higher level things. I think you have to, if you're going to grow, I think you have to hire people, yeah. whether you bring them in or you outsource that, but you need to know what to ask. You need to know the questions yeah. so you know what you're hiring. Well, and ultimately it's your responsibility. Mm-hmm. Like, I think sometimes as entrepreneurs, you know, we've hired people and think, oh, I don't have the responsibility for that anymore. It's your company. Ultimately, the buck stops with you on Absolutely. everything. Absolutely. I, I so agree. Like, you have to know whether the person's doing what they're supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't micromanage. So I tell, you know, I tell all of my team members, I don't call them employees, I call them team members. And I say to them, I said, listen, I'm going to teach you the way I do it, because that's the only way I know how to do it. As long as you get the job done in a moral and ethical way, I don't care how you do it. <laughs> Absolutely. It's that whole idea of, look, this is a football field. We have to get the ball down to the end of the field. You can run it. You can pass it. I don't care what you do. But you got to stay within these within guardrails. The if you if you run on the sidelines, we're go, we're going to foul out foul out or whatever they call. Yeah, you can tell I'm a sports person. Should not use sports metaphors. But but the, the truth is, you can you have to stay within this field. Now, yeah. what you do in the field, that's up to you. It worked for me, so I'm going to go with it. And I'm glad to hear that that's how you approach it. Well, it's funny. I learned how to do this. 
um, my best friend and I, she was the first team member that came into mm -hmm. my business with me. And so it was a bit weird. Like, it's funny, we had flip flopped over the years because she ran a company, a brick and mortar business, and there was time she needed help. So I was her employee. Mm -hmm. And then when my ghostwriting got so big, it turned to a publishing company. She was my employee, right? Mm -hmm. So over the years, we learned how to separate our friendship and our work relationship. And we made promises to each other that we'd never let the two interfere with each other. But what we realized a very, very long time ago, and even though she's my absolute best friend, and I love her to pieces, we have very different styles okay i call her the planner princess she has a planner for everything she plans everything out to the nth degree before she does it mm -hmm. and she has to think everything through to the nitty-gritty before she's ready to work on something and you don't throw things at her because that just sends her life into confusion me on the other hand i'm gonna go with the flow person let's just get started we'll figure it out on the way we'll fix it up as we go along right so very opposite styles. Mm -hmm. This is where this, you know, don't micromanage. So I would show her and then I'd say to her, listen, you figure out your own way because she, the planner princess, right? And, but it worked for us because I gave her the freedom as long as she was doing what was needed to be done. It was done on time because sometimes that, that could be an issue with someone who plans, plans, plans. They don't always get it mm -hmm. done. But as long as she was getting it done on time, I didn't care what system she put in place. And so we learned. And she also learned that I was a go with the flow. So, you know, I learned to let her do things slowly, even though it would drive me nuts. But she also learned that sometimes she's just got to go with the flow. So we balanced it out and we worked well together Absolutely. because I gave her the freedom mm -hmm. to accomplish the goal the way she wanted. Like you said, within the guidelines, you know, within, within that football field. I mean, it's not even today's topic, but I think this is just something really important for entrepreneurs to understand. If you micromanage, you're going to make not only your life miserable, your employees' lives miserable, and ultimately your clients' and customers' lives miserable. Absolutely. And, you know, you you raised an interesting point, and then they'll stop and we can talk about content. But one of the things that you guys did was you found the yin to each other's yang. And there's real power in recognizing this is my strong suit. This is yours. They are complete opposites. Yes, we will make each other crazy, but we'll pull each other along a little bit. She'll force you to slow down. You'll force her to speed up. Yeah, exactly. And that's what happened. Mm -hmm. That's what happened. I planned more. Mm -hmm. And when I threw things at her, she just learned how to do them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I want to give you lots of time to talk about SEO content here. And we're going to we're going to shift gears. But I think that first section was just completely off topic, but completely valuable at the same time. <laughs> so Lorraine, I'm going to let you loose for a bit to talk mm -hmm. about it. And then, you know, we'll stop, ask some questions, we'll talk it through. But I want to give you lots of time to share. Okay, so what is content-based SEO? People often ask me about it and where, where I came to it. And basically, quite a few years ago, SEO was much more of a game. It was all black hat tactics and keyword stuffing and you know weird linking strategies. And I would look at this and I was working on my clients' websites and we were doing some, some content work for them. And I said, you know, I, I don't think this is a good idea because if you game the system and you bring people to your website, yes, you're going to win search. Good for you. But the people who come 
are not going to be the people who really care about what you have to say. You're not actually going to sell anything. So this whole exercise is just that it's a waste of time. Honestly, I just, I don't think this is a good strategy. We started focusing on content and, and really writing blog posts and articles and putting rich content on websites that mm -hmm. answered questions. Yeah. I remember there was an update. It was the, um, might've been the Panda or Penguin update. Google came out and said, look, we are going to shift our algorithm and we are going to focus on content. And I remember I had a lot of friends in the business who'd been telling me I was leaving money on the table, that I could make all this money if I would just do these linking strategies and things for my clients. And I kept saying no. And the funny thing was the day after the Google announcement, there were two companies that basically ceased to exist because their whole model was about link building and gaming the system. And guess what? The mm. rules of the system changed. Yeah. My clients, it was a non-event for us. It actually was good because overnight, the content mm. that we were writing was actually getting more visibility. And yeah. so that's really the foundation of, of where this whole process came for me. In terms of what it is, the best way to approach this, and you know, you're an author, you're a words person, you're going to love this, you start with questions. What are the questions that you get asked on a regular basis? What is it that someone needs to know as they move through your buying process. Yeah. Start making a list of all those questions. Go to your inbox and look at the emails that you've answered recently. If you have a customer service team or a sales team, go and do that and just start building this list. And that's where it starts. Then what I want you to do, and I call this hiding in plain sight, the answers are actually, Google is right there. Go to Google and type in what you think is a good question. And funny thing happens, you'll see that question, the answer come up, but you'll very often see a question section pop up with people also asked, look at those questions. Are those good questions? Most yeah. of the time, some of them are. And then what do you do? Click on one and half a dozen more questions open up and half a dozen more. You could spend hours going down that rabbit hole. You don't have to take all of them. Pick, pick your favorites, pick the ones that you're like, yeah. That's a really good question. It's a really good way of asking it. Now what I want you to do is go back to your website. Go to your search bar. Don't type in keywords. Type in that question. What comes up? Do you get a blank screen? Do you get one blog post? Do you get one page that's kind of related? I almost don't have to tell you the obvious. You've identified these questions. You think they're good questions. Google has identified that these are, are questions people are asking. It is yes. related to your product category. Hello, put some content on your website. <laughs> when I say this, people are like, oh, and funny thing, we were working with a, um, a flooring company. I, when I asked him, like, what do, what do people ask you? And he said to me, I get asked all the time why we have to replace the subfloor. Okay. I go to Google, I get variations on the question. I go back to his website and I type it in and you know what? Nothing. Nothing. So first thing we did was write a blog post. Why do I need to replace the subfloor? Funny thing, it did well. People were interested. 
What material do I use for the subfloor? Good, next question. How long does it take to, to replace the subfloor? And all of a sudden you start to find this group yeah. of related questions. So now you've got the questions, you figure out what you need to answer. Now start connecting the content. This is the other thing when Google, and I don't hear people talking about it this way as much anymore, but the term spider, that yeah. the Google spiders would come to your website and they would crawl. And what they're doing is they're looking for related content and links they can follow. And so you need to create a path through your website. Yeah. And you do that if you write two articles on a, a related topic. For more information yeah. about subfloors, read here. Interested about scheduling an appointment for your subfloors, go here. You know, and you just kind of put those connections. Yes. And so those things will add way more value to your website. They will give you a core for your social media, for your newsletters. You're not creating two different kinds of content. I mean, and I can go on about this. Oh, I don't know for hours. I, I teach a course in this, but, but that's really the gist. What are the questions Yeah, and how do you answer them? Wow. You know, it's funny. I actually knew that, but I've never heard it explained that way. And it's like, that just really makes a lot of sense. And I'm thinking through, cause like I'm in the process of just you know, completely redoing everything, redoing the websites, like just redoing everything and pretty well starting from scratch on a lot of areas because the things I was doing just wasn't working. And I was thinking through my content strategy for the year and I actually came up with 52 different topics, but now I'm going to go back and I know those topics are questions that are asked, but I'm going to go back and actually do it the way you said and go into Google and see exactly how it's worded. Cause that's what word ninjas do, right? We mm -hmm. see how things are worded. I, I think you are a true word ninja, my friend. <laughs> as long as I'm talking, my mother said I was born talking. When you were talking about, I think before the show started your process where you write and then you do the other pieces, I'm high auditory. That means I have to hear it out loud first. Mm -hmm. So I talk things through, I do a presentation, then I think, oh, that's good content. I, I should record that, transcribe it, and then craft it into something. And it's just how my brain works. But yes, it is all about the words. And, you know, you brought up an important point there, because I think some people think, oh, I have to do it this way. No, you don't. Mm -hmm. One thing I've learned through this process of, you know, teaching people authority, marketing, positioning, you know, how do you get seen? is your writing skills and your verbal skills have to be on relatively the same level. One can't be significantly weaker than the other. Mm -hmm. But what I realized through the process is most people are one or the other. And, you know, it comes back to the visual audio, you know, mm -hmm. tactile type things. Some people are better writers than speakers. So if you prefer to write, write your blog posts out first, write your content out first. Mm -hmm. then create the audio podcast, mm -hmm. then create the video from what you've written. And a little secret, if you're using a laptop, what I used to do is I, I would have, I'd have Word open. I'd just be staring straight at the screen and I'd use my mouse as a teleprompter. And I, sometimes I would be reading stuff and I'm really good at reading. I can read in such a way you don't 
know that I'm reading something because mm-hmm. I would practice it, practice it till it sounded completely natural. Mm-hmm. But I would read the videos sometimes and I'd stare straight in the camera and I'd smile and I'd make inflections. And But I would be reading it. I've actually won online speech contests doing that because I would read because sometimes I didn't get the whole speech memorized. Mm-hmm. And I would just read and I've won contests doing that. Right? And you know that okay, that works for you. I yeah. I have uh, it's way too long a story, but I have had horrible misadventures when I try to read my presentations mm-hmm. because I don't track every word and then I lose my place or whatever. You're not a visual person. No, I'm auditory. And so for me, if I have five words on the screen, like just on the side, and those are the five things I need to talk about, I'm fine. And interestingly, when I have to write blog posts, I very often will dictate them. Yes. And then transcribe. And they are way more interesting because there's Mm -hmm. more of, that's how I get me into my writing. Yeah. If I if I write to a, a plain piece of paper, it's kind of a little, it feels stiff. It doesn't feel authentic. And so yeah. it is totally about finding your voice and finding a way that works for you. Works for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I, that was the opposite of what I was going to say. For some people, it's about speaking it out. It's about doing the video or the audio first and mm-hmm. then taking that to writing and even at RTI Publishing, when we're working with our clients, that's one of the things we determine in the beginning is, you know, we write their chapters for them, but what's the best way for them to do revisions? So for some of them, they actually do the revisions on the copy we send them. For others, it's having those conversations and then we kind of do the revisions. Like we we customize it to each client's needs because we were getting frustrated because clients weren't doing the work. and and But then we realized they just were really couldn't do the work. Mm-hmm. And so we came up with these other systems. So I love that. I love that. Now it says in your bio that you are an author. Mm-hmm. When I first started my business, a friend of mine told me, if you're going to do public speaking, and that's what I wanted to do. And if you're going to go to conferences, you have to, you have to have a book. And so I've actually written two they were both self-published. The first was the Entrepreneur's Notebook. It was released in 2002, which is a marketing strategy. The mm-hmm. second one was a Business Map, which was a guide to business planning. I'm actually in the process right now of updating both of them because a marketing book written in 2002 is, oh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little dated. But I'm I'm very excited about a new project that I have that is going a little slower than I thought, but I, it's we're making progress. More than a few words is my podcast is 13 years old. And over 13 years, I have talked to so many amazing, amazing people. And I'm currently putting together a collection of articles mm-hmm. by many of my guests. And I think I have about 15 or 16 articles and I'm going to write some of the in-between chapters to fill it out. And I would like a few more before I start assembling it, but, but I'm going to publish a collection and we're going to call it more than a few written words. Nice. I love it. So I'm hoping that that will be available right around the beginning of April. Mm-hmm. And you'll be able to learn more at uh, my podcast website, more than a few words.com. Awesome. So actually, by the time your episode comes out, hopefully, because mm-hmm. we're recording this in February, hopefully your book will be done. And yeah, so more than a few words.com if you're mm-hmm. interested in that. So I'm going to ask you a question that I ask 
every author who's been on the show. What was the good, the bad, and ugly of self-publishing those two books? The good was the process. It really forced me to organize my thoughts around the topic and particularly on the business planning one. I mean, I had been reading business plans for seven or eight years, you know, hundreds of plans a year. I, I knew I knew what I wanted to say, but doing some research and finding out how other people approached it, the learning was, those things were the good, the bad. You know, it's so funny because it's so much easier now. I signed up for Amazon self-publishing and, you know, they have a template. I agonized over the layout of the text. If I was publishing a printed book, I probably still would agonize a little bit more. But the emphasis with the Amazon online publishing is on the content. It's on mm -hmm. the words. And so the bad was really overthinking the layout. I read all my books on my phone. So all of that great formatting is wasted on me. Tell me the story. So well, I think because with Kindle, you can change the formatting to whatever you want. Yes. Yes. So, you know, let it go. Just let it go. So the, I think the bad was definitely overthinking things that in the long run didn't, didn't matter. You know, it, they were, it was pretty painless back then. I found a good self-publishing company and they worked with us and, oh, I, okay. One more thing. You don't have to do this anymore, you know, with on-demand printing. But I mean, I was doing this, my first book was 04. I think the second book was 07. I sold or gave away at conferences, almost all of the original printing of mm -hmm. the first book. I have quite a few of those business plan books left, you know, because you had to print, you had to print so many and yeah. you don't anymore. And so um, that was ugly, <laughs> but I priced them in a way that if you're, you know, if you are going to lock yourself into printing 500, price them in a way that you break even on a hundred because yeah. then you can give away if if you think you're writing the next great american novel i think that's one thing but yeah. if you're writing it to as a book to build authority to send as a preview of your speaking or to negotiate a higher fee for your presentation then build into your cost the fact that you're going to break even after you sell 100 and give the rest away wow i i loved what you said and i i actually wrote that down because i think that that is an incredible quote that I hope you don't mind. I'm going to use it a few times, but overthinking what didn't matter. <laughs> Loved that. You know, I've got to admit, Kindle formatting is pretty easy now. Mm -hmm. Print formatting still a bit of a beast. We're working on one of our clients' books and, you know, the cover, we've been working on the cover. And even though we've been trying to get it exactly how Amazon wants it, it's out by less than one tenth of an inch and Amazon won't pass it. And we're like, and do you know how hard it is? It's not that easy adding that little bit of a piece to a book to make it work, you know, on an edge of a cover that's not even going to be in the printed area. Frustrating. Yeah. So I, I actually, uh, I was looking at the Amazon covers and I, I feel your pain. I've decided that I'm going to do text with basically the, everything is going to be on white space. Yeah. So if I'm off by a tenth of an inch, fine, chop it off the end of the whites. I know, but not it, but not every design will work that way. No. And and I mean we're getting it done and it, it will probably be done today, but it's just like oh. seriously, Amazon, like there's nothing in that space. 
right? There's there's no wording, there's no graphics, there's and yeah. even when they print the book and they cut all that off, it's going to be cut off. So I explained to my clients that some days KDP is nice and, and it's some, in a good mood and it likes you. And some days it doesn't. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what I would love for you to do, Lorraine, talk a little bit more about your podcast and then how can people connect with you? So I'll, I'll answer the question in reverse. Look for me on LinkedIn. Yes, there are other Lorraine Balls, but you'll know you've got the right one when it says podcast host, author, whatever, whatever. That's me. So the best way to reach out to me is on LinkedIn. Come on, say hello. Tell me you heard me on author to authority. And uh, we can chat about this and other things. The podcast, More Than A Few Words, is a marketing conversation for business owners. There are, it's a mixture of shows. There are short episodes that are just little marketing tips. They may run one or two minutes. And then there are conversations with marketing professionals that run mm, 10, 12 minutes. And the format is very deliberate. My audience, they're business owners, they got a lot going on, and they're not sitting and watching. They're putting in their headset and they're multitasking. They may be in their car, they may be sitting in a coffee shop. And I found that the short episodes really work and people really like consuming that shorter content. Well, and the other thing is that if if somebody has a lot to say, we bring them back. Yeah, exactly. I've done that too. Like I used to let the episodes run really long and now it's like, okay, if it it needs to be continued, we stop and then we just start the thing back up again and we record episode two because some some topics are just, you're getting into the meat of it and it's Mm -hmm. just, it's not the right place to stop. I found like we do half an hour episodes, which tend to, our audience seems to like it because it gives us enough time for them to get some really great, good, Mm -hmm. practical, technical information. So yeah, and I think, you know, it's the same thing with podcasting. What works for you? Mm-hmm. Does mm-hmm. shorter episodes work? Do longer episodes work? It's about testing. It's about seeing. Some podcasts are an hour, two hours long and they work. Lorraine, thank you. Thank you. This has been Lorraine Ball and Kim Thompson Pinder on the Author to Authority podcast. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you on the very next episode. Bye now. You've been listening to the Author to Authority podcast. The Extraordinary Word Ninja, Kim Thompson Pinder, has helped over 200 entrepreneurs, professionals, speakers, and coaches write and publish their books that have become incredible marketing tools for their business. And many of those have gone on to become Amazon best-selling authors and have used their books to land high-level clients and get on big stages. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit the website at www.author2authoritypodcast.com. See you next time.